you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah 18. Well, some of us might know this section. It says, Jeremiah was a prophet in Israel, and in verse 1 it says, A word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, and it says, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. And so I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. How many people have ever had to throw a pot? Really? You haven't? That's why you've got issues. She gives me grief. Don't, don't like feel sorry for her. I don't, everybody in this church that you should feel pity for, Jan isn't one of them. Hey, so now I'll feel bad for her. Frank, hug her. No, I might after this one. Okay, so when I was in high school, one of the classes I got to take, it was, you know, I took, like, pottery. And so you step up, and if you've ever done it, you sit at this wheel, and you have no, no clue what you're doing. They slam a piece of lump of clay in front of you, and they say, make a bowl, pot, cup, whatever. And when you were shaping it, when I was shaping it, it would go up, and then it collapsed, and go up and collapse. And then the instructor would get up, and he would... He would just whip this thing out, and I was like, man, I can't do this, so I gave up. But pottery to us, right, if you've ever been to an art show, there's always this really fancy stuff that you buy, and you're like, well, we'll put it up on a shelf. Most of the pottery is like shiny and, and gray. We have a friend that, that makes things, and it's, it's beautiful, but... Is it, it's, it's more art than function. And yet, when Jeremiah, during Jeremiah's time, pottery was always functional. And, and for us, as, as people who have Tupperware in like 19 drawers, can I get an amen? amen? You ever wonder if Tupperware actually multiplies at night? The one thing that doesn't multiply are the lids, right? They have all these containers. But for us, we don't really worry about, about containers. We have containers for everything. We have more containers than we have things to put it in. But back then, pottery changed civilization. You see, the invention before pottery became part of, of, of society, humanity had to live hand to mouth. They lived day to day. They, they lived what they could carry, and so they were mostly wanderers. They, they, they traveled from place to place, gathered what they could gather, held what they could hold, and, and it was, there was nothing, there was no free time. There was no time in which somebody could contemplate anything or rest or build a civilization because they had to go where the food was. And then along came somebody that, that shaped something that held things. And society at that time changed. Civilization could now build towns and they could stay in one place because you could store grain and, and, and life began to change. But if you could imagine for a moment what it would be like without any containers other than having the four drawers empty. Right? If you could imagine what it would be like to have no Tupperware, no pots, no pans, no water coolers, no Yeti containers, no, no nothing. And it's like, what would you do? And, and, and so when we talk about pottery and when we talk about this section of scripture, it's important that we don't 
apply our own existence or our own understanding to this. Because for us, as Americans, we have a wealth of everything. We have giant refrigerators and we have great coolers, but back then, a pot, a simple clay pot, every pot, every piece of pottery not only had a purpose, but every piece of pottery carried with it a, a fingerprint, or an expression, an artistic expression of the potter. Every piece of pottery not only had a purpose, but every single piece of pottery told a story of the creator's artistry. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get going. Father, I thank you for your word that comes alive, and I thank you, God, that even when we turn to something that was written hundreds of years ago, that, Lord, it, it speaks to us today. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive what you want to accomplish today. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would kind of give us an insight and allow our imagination to run a bit, that as we see what it must have been like to be in Jeremiah's shoes that day when God showed him two truths, that, God, the people of God are created for a purpose, and the people of God are beautiful. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, Amen. So Jeremiah the prophet, who was, his purpose was to give God's word to the people of God, goes to a, a workshop. It wasn't clean, I'm sure it had mud and everything else and clay and water and, and it was dirty and God says, hey, watch this guy. And, and I wonder what it must have been like to begin to hear God speak through the actions of another. And let me just stop there for a moment. A lot of us, when we, when we hear the word, what did God show you or tell you, we picture the idea of this, this auditory thing, that this, this great booming voice of God speaks into this ear, and it rattles our head, and we become, we have this revelation with words or some amazing thing, right? Handwriting on the wall, blimps flying across the sky, something, and yet Jeremiah, prophet, someone that God spoke to regularly, sees God and hears God in the midst of the commonplace. And so can we just start there? A lot of us sit in church and we want to hear and want to experience and want to know God speaks to us. And then we go to work or we go to school or we stay at home with our kids and we're, we, we yearn for the miraculous and we yearn for the supernatural. Yet God oftentimes speaks in the middle of the common. He teaches us with a lump of clay and a guy making a living throwing pots. And so the two things that I want to drive home to you today that every single person in this room, no matter your faith, no matter your belief system, whether you think Christianity is a crock or whether Christianity is life-giving, it is irregardless or regardless of where you stand in your faith walk, that you were created by God for a purpose. And that every single person here, regardless of where you find yourself this morning, reflects God's artistry. 
So if you're sitting next to somebody that has irritated you this week, you have to look at them and realize that they have the fingerprints of God all over them. And even more so, those of you that have looked in the mirror this week and went, man, I stink. I did something. I did this, 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 or that. That you yourselves reflect the beauty that comes from God. That you are God's creation. Created in Jesus to do good works. That you have both a purpose and that you reflect God. That God had something in mind when he created you. God had something in mind when he created you. Ephesians tells us, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. Everybody say good works. You were created for good works. The person you're sitting next to was created for good works. Well, I'm never going to be a pastor. Well, good for you. And you might be, you might be one of those guys like me that turn the clock at 40 and go, oh, I'm going to go back and work in a church. But you might find great success in the work that you do. You might be the most amazing mother, the most amazing father, and turn wrenches for a living. You might touch kids' lives in Sunday school. You might be the best neighbor anybody's ever had, but you were created, you personally were created uniquely to make a difference in the world that you live in. You see, in Jeremiah's time, a potter never made a piece of pottery to sit on a shelf. Never once did was a potter make something to just sit. Now, we live in a world where we can buy things and slam it up there, and wow, that's pretty. Did you see, did you see that? It kind of glows, it sparkles. They fired it awesome. It was so pretty. What's it for? Just look at it. And, and in our fluent culture, that makes sense. And sometimes we confuse the freedom we have in this country because of our affluence to sit it on the shelf. And we have confused that with our own life, that we have been made to sit on the shelf, to collect dust, to, to not make a difference. And yet that's not what Scripture teaches us. That you were created to do something. You were created to do good works. You were created to make a difference. Humanity was not created to live a stagnant existence of survival. And again, I, I, I personally, for me, it's like I don't care where you find yourself today. It doesn't, doesn't negate to me the fact that you not only were knitted together in your mother's womb, but you were knitted together in your mother's womb to do good works. And what are those good works? Well, what are you trying to say, Dave? Everybody going to join a church? No, I'm saying everybody should reflect the Creator in your actions and your words and how you interact day to day in your life. And here's the kicker. Here's the thing that amazes me. That not only were we created for a purpose, we were created, and because we were created, we reflect the artistry of God. We reflect his creativity. If you've ever seen or ever held an infant or a baby, man, that, that's like amazing. When we get older, we kind of lose the shine. Just saying. Not all of you, but most of you. 
Frank still glows. Some of you, right, little rough, bumped into too many corners. But each one of us reflect his artistry. You see, back in Jeremiah's time, there was no CNC, a computer-automated tool that made a 1,000 exactly of the same thing. There was no 3D printer where you could program something and just get them coming off the assembly line. There was no manufacturing facility that created 10 billion of the same shape, same width, same height, same color pot. Every single piece of pottery that was made was made as a one-off. There was no two alike. Why? Because hands can't work that way. Anybody that's ever worked with their hands understand no matter how good you are, you can't make the same thing exactly the same twice. Something's going to be different. You might, if it's woodworking, you'll sand something a little different. You'll gouge a chisel a little more. You'll cut something a little different. Some piece will be chipped. There's something that's different in every piece no matter what you make. And that is never so much obvious as in a piece of pottery. Because when you, when you think about it, you have to work the walls and make it thick or thin. You have to shape it. You have to turn it. And, and, it, and it's contingent on your hands. The psalmist writes, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Turn to your neighbor and say, You're wonderfully made. How many people got an argument for that one? Yeah. I ain't wonderfully made. <laughs> Definitely, he's not wonderfully made. I know him. You see, and in today's world, it might seem odd that we, in, in a world that we separate the functional from the beautiful. Right? In today's world, we, sell, we, we, we separate the functional and we put them out and we cook with those things and we, we use those things and we protect those things. And then we, we take the beautiful and we put them on a shelf, never to be used, never to be touched, protected from all the kids. Because we don't combine the two and yet in God's world, in God's eyes, in God's paradigm, he does not separate the functional from the beautiful. He never has. He doesn't look for the worker who's, who's wearing jeans and like, okay, you dig the ditch, but this guy that's really pretty or this girl that's really attractive, you just stay here and get on Instagram. You, 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 you don't have that mix in biblical times. Why? Because there was not enough influence in biblical times. There was not enough production in biblical times to be able to buy something and just collect it and not use it. You couldn't live that way. And if you could imagine Jeremiah that day, watching the potter make something, watching his mastery, watching his creativity, and then God showing... I'm making the people of God the same way. I'm making them both functional and I'm making the people of God in my own image. I'm making the people of God who are called to partner with him in his mission to connect all people to him, not only functional, not only with unique gifts and talents, 
but to reflect his very image, to make them beautiful. And see, when we look in the mirror, we see the flaws and we see the cracks and we see the things that we screw up, that we like, we disqualify everything. And yet, God's initial purpose when he created you, when he knit you, before he, the foundations of the earth, he had a plan for you, and that plan was to make you a part of him. Make you a necessary part of him. Not to just exist, not to just survive, not to just get by until you get to heaven and everything comes together, but, but today, now. That we exist and we strive in our lives to to follow his designs and his purpose, and yet we know that it's not that simple. We know for some of us that we are just a little bit cracked. He says this, this he keeps going on. It says, God sits at a wheel and he. Ready? Oh, nice. He sits and shapes his people. Each one of us unique. Each one of us unique to answer the need that he has, answer the purpose that he has. Some great, some small. Some popular, some not. Some famous, some not so. But each person created to... Achieve a purpose made by the creator. And it says in verse 4, it says the story continues. Oh, the vessel he was making of clay was, was spoiled in the potter's hand. And the one's translation puts it this way. The pot the potter was working on turned out badly. All the pots that I ever made in high school turned out badly. They turned out badly not because of the clay but because of me. Like I, have, like, I have the finesse of an elephant with clay, and so, like, two claws come together, boom. What happened, Dayaka? I have no idea. They just folded. And so when, when Jeremiah writes that, that the pot turned out poorly, it's that idea that, that the, the potter's sitting at the wheel, and something happens in the shape, and it all just folds. And for those of us that might have any familiarity with pottery we immediately talk to the potter it's like dude you just got fat hands man relax but in jeremiah's time there's also an issue of impurities within the clay itself that you can work out something and if you remember a, a, a potter has to knead all the clay and get all the air out so there's there's no voids there's nothing weird there's no rocks in it that would would skew it and yet Every once in a while, there would be an imperfection in the clay. And that imperfection in the clay would, would throw it out of proportion. Jeremiah knew all about spoiled vessels or pots that went wrong. He had spent time with people that were not useful. He had spent time with people that didn't keep their word, that couldn't follow God's laws. He had spent time with people who were so imperfect that though they were meant to carry something precious, they just leaked everywhere. He had spent time with people whose lives were out of balance. And we know what that's like, right? We know 
that when we try to find our own meaning and our own path and we try to figure out what we were created for apart from God, we get skewed. We get all sorts of wobbly on the wheel. We know that. Right? You, you, we, we, we replace God with an addiction. We replace God with a relationship. We replace God with work. We replace God with things, and we hope that the relationship or the addiction or things or job or money or stuff or a new car or shiny something will give us purpose and meaning. But somewhere along the line, I have never met one person that has invested solely in one thing and not ended up whacked not ended up spinning on the wheel that their life is and just fold into one another. And sometimes we take that experience and we disqualify ourselves. We're like, oh, I can't believe I'm so stupid. I've lost count of the number of times I've said that about to me. Man, dude, how many times are you just going to just like, boom? Anybody else been there? Thank God. I always worry that I'm not talking to human beings. So, <laughs> You see, most of us can point to a time when our life gets out of balance. Most of us can point to a time when, when we try to bring stability by bringing something else into our lives that is not of God or a part of God's plan. And we're like, okay, we got some stability and we got some enjoyment. And we're laughing a little bit. And then a week or a month or a year later, we're like, how in God's name did I end here? How did I end up splattered against the wall? Oh, yeah, I remember that choice. I remember how I got so out of balance. But this is what the Potter story tells us. That it says, because if if God's the potter, and and the reason the, the, the pot goes to crud is not because of his inability to shape, but the imperfections of the clay, you would think that God being God would just take it, put it into a ball, and throw it at the cat. And yes, there is always a cat in a potter's, just telling you, because you need something to throw it at. You're not going to throw it at a dog. I know, pray for me later. Um, but it doesn't say God took the, the, the imperfect clay and bolded it up and, and, and knocked the cat out. It doesn't say that, that God stood up disgusted with himself or with the clay and kicked the wheel and stormed out. It says, no, it says that he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. You see, God needs and presses and, and looks at the clay, but God never gives up on the clay. God never gives up on the clay. I don't care how out of whack you are. I don't care how unbalanced you are. I don't care how much impurities are in you right now. God does not ever give up on you. He doesn't walk away from you and roll you up into a ball and go next. Maybe this one will be better. Why? Because each person in this room reflects him Each person in this room is a testimony to his creativity. Each person in this room was made to be functional and made to be beautiful. And our imperfections, though they might be many, are not reason enough for God to give up on you. Ever. And if you've ever heard some dude with a mic tell you different, he's wrong. 
God is not a giver up of people. God is a creator of people. God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save us. And so some of us might be today, hypothetically, hypothetically, because I know you guys are all good. But if you feel that kind of pressing, if you feel them at looking at your life and going, dude, do you really need that? If you're, if you're leaning into something and finding things aren't going the way that you thought, it, it might not be just bad luck. It might be God needing out an imperfection so that he can create in you what he long purposed you to be. Well, that stinks. Well, sort of. There's nothing easy or gentle about pressing out an imperfection in a lump of clay. Especially if the clay has hands. Because the clay has hands, like, I'm going to hold on to this one. You can take all that stuff, but don't take this because this completes me. But when we begin to think that way, we begin to take the role of the potter and not the role of the pottery. We begin to assume that we know ourselves better than what our creator knows us. And, and so at times God lets us go, watches us, doesn't give up on us, allows us to flop off the wheel, picks us back up, puts us back in, and starts again. And that is not, why didn't God rescue us? He did. By not giving up on you. By picking you back up and putting you down on the wheel. By shaping you and reshaping you and shaping you and reshaping you until you reflect him and you can bring him glory. And there is no greater life to be lived than one that, that is shaped by God. You see, one of the first words that, that Jeremiah heard from God was in, in, in 1.5. It says, before I shaped you. In the womb, I knew all about you. That word shape is the same word that is used to describe what the potter does. God himself tells the prophet, he's like, before I shape you, I had a picture of you in my mind. And if you've ever had to work with your hands, if you've ever created, if you've ever painted, if you've ever sculpted, if you've ever carved, you see something before you begin. And if you can't see it, the best thing that you can do is not touch a thing. God always has a picture of what he has for you. Not to bring you misery, but to bring you hope. Not to rob you of life, but to equip you with life. And to give you all the tools and everything necessary to live the life that God intended you to live. So, if you find yourself on the wheel this week, you can fight it. Go like this. Right? End up on the wall. Or you can ask, Holy Spirit, tell me what you're doing in my life. What are you revealing in me? What are you asking me to give up so that, that I can take the shape that you've intended? What impurities do you want to reveal in my life that just bring me brokenness and unhappiness? What? Things do I need to, to deal with and to acknowledge so that I can take the shape that you have for me. That I can reflect your idea and the people around me. So that I can hold the grace that you have given me. That I can hold the mercy that I have, 
have ex experienced and that I can take that grace and that mercy and the vessel that is me and that we can share that in the world that we live in. And so then I become a carrier of God's grace into the world that God has placed me in. That whether I am a carpenter or a cabinet maker or a truck driver or a white collar worker or a blue collar worker, whether I am an admin or a business owner or a stay-at-home parent, whether I am in school or whether I am retired, I am a vessel of God's grace and God's mercy in a world desperately in need of it. And so my function is not to point at the world, but to invite the world on a process that we are in to remind the world that God is filled with grace and mercy, that God is not a distinguisher of people, that he doesn't like one culture or one religion or one ethnicity better than the next, that we all reflect his glory, that we all reflect his beauty, that we all have his fingerprints on our lives and so that we can come and once we understand that and embrace that, we can reflect him in the world around us. We can bring light in the darkness. That's a cool job. That's a cool job. Why don't we stand?